0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Maria Elmvang, Copenhagen, Denmark, October 2006. The Rosary by Florence L. Barclay Chapter 3 The Surprise Packet The sundial pointed to half past four o'clock. The hour of silence appeared to be over. The birds commenced twittering, and a cuckoo in an adjacent wood sounded his note at intervals. The house awoke to sudden life. There was an opening and shutting of doors. Two footmen, in the mulberry and silver of the Meldrum livery, hurried down from the terrace, carrying folding tea-tables, with which they supplemented those of rustic oak, standing permanently under the cedar. One promptly returned to the house, while the other remained behind, spreading snowy cloths over each table. The macaw awoke, stretched his wings, and flapped them twice, and then sidled up and down his perch, concentrating his attention upon the footman. Mind! he exclaimed suddenly in the butler's voice as a cloth flung on too hurriedly fluttered to the grass. Hold your jaw! said the young footman irritably, flicking the bird with the tablecloth, and then glancing furtively at the rose garden. Tommy wants a gooseberry! shrieked the macaw touching the tablecloth and hanging head downwards from his perch don't you wish you may get it said the footman viciously give it to him somebody remarked tommy in the duchess's voice the footman started and looked over his shoulder then hurriedly told tommy just what he thought of him and where he wished him cuffed him soundly and returned to the house followed by peals of laughter mingled with exhortations and imprecations from the angry bird Who danced up and down on his perch until his enemy had vanished from you a few minutes later the tables were spread with a large variety of eatables considered necessary at an english afternoon tea the massive silver urn and teapots gleamed on the buffet table behind which the old butler presided muffins crumpets cakes and every kind of sandwich supplemented the dainty little rolled slices of white and brown bread and butter while heaped-up boughs of freshly gathered strawberries lent a touch of colour to the artistic effect of white and silver when all was ready the butler raised his hand and sounded an old chinese gong hanging in the cheddar tree before the penetrating boom had died away voices were heard in the distance from all over the grounds up from the river down from the tennis courts out from house and garden came the duchess's guests rejoicing in the refreshing prospect of tea hurrying to the welcoming shade of the cheddar Charming women in white carefully guarding their complexions beneath shady hats and picturesque parasols delightful girls who had long ago sacrificed complexion to comfort and now walked across the lawn bareheaded swinging their rackets and discussing the latest hard fought set men in flannels sunburned and handsome joining in the talk and laughter praising their partners while remaining unobtrusively silent as to their own achievements they made a picturesque group as they gathered under the tree "'subsiding with immense satisfaction into the low wicker chairs "'or onto the soft turf, and helping themselves to what they pleased. "'When all was applied with tea, coffee, or iced drinks to their liking, "'conversation flowed again. "'So, the Duchess's concert comes off to-night,' remarked someone. "'I wish to goodness they would hang this tree with Chinese lanterns "'and have it up here. "'It was too hot to face a crowded function indoors.' "'Oh, that's all right,' said Garth Dermain. I'm stage manager, you know, and I can promise you that all the long windows opening onto the terrace shall stand wide, so no one need be in the concert room who prefers to stop outside. There will be a row of lounge chairs placed on the terrace near the windows. You won't say much, but you will hear perfectly. Ah, but have the in seeing, exclaimed one of the tennis girls. People who have remained on the terrace will miss all the point of it afterwards. When the dear Duchess shows us how everybody did it i don't care how hot it is put me a seat in the front row who's the surprise packet to-night asked lady ingleby who had arrived since luncheon velma said mary streven she is coming for the week and delightful it will be to have her no one but the duchess could have worked it and no place but Overdean would have tempted her she will sing only one song at the concert but she is sure to break forth later on and give us plenty we will persuade jane to drift to the piano accidentally and play over, just by chance, the opening bars of some of Velma's best things, and we shall soon hear the magic voice. She never can resist a perfectly played accompaniment. "'Why call Madame Velma the surprise packet?' asked the girl, to whom the overdean best parties were a new experience. "'That, my dear,' replied Lady Ingleby, "'is a little joke of the Duchess's. "'This concert is arranged for the amusement of her house-party, "'and for the gratification and glorification of local celebrities.' The whole neighborhood is invited. None of you are asked to perform, but local celebrities are. In fact, they furnish the entire program to their own delight, the satisfaction of their friends and relatives, and our entertainment. Particularly afterwards, when the Duchess takes us through every item with original notes, comments, and impersonations. Oh Odell, do you remember when she tucked the sheet of white writing paper into her tea gown for dog color and took off the high church curate nervously singing a comic song? Then, at the very end, you see, and really some of it is quite good for amateurs, she trots out Velma, or some equally perfect artiste, to show them how it really can be done, and suddenly the place is full of music, and a great hush falls in the audience, and the poor, complacent amateurs realise that the noise they have been making was, after all, not music, and they go dumbly home. But they have forgotten all about it by the following year, or a fresh contingent of willing performers steps into the breach. The duchess's little joke always comes off. The Honorable Jane does not approve of it, said young Ronald Ingram. Therefore, she is generally given marching orders and departs to her next visit before the event. But no one can accompany Madame Velma so perfectly, so this time she is commanded to stay. But I doubt if the surprised haggard will come off with quite such a shock as usual, and I am certain the fun won't be as good afterwards. The Honorable Jane has been known to jump on the duchess for that sort of thing. She's safe to get the worst of it at the time, but it has a restraining effect afterwards. "'I think Miss Champion's quite right,' said a bright-faced American girl, bravely, holding a gold spoon poised for a moment over the strawberry ice cream with which Garth Delmain had supplied her. "'In my country we should call it real mean to laugh at people who have been our guests and performed in our houses.' "'In your country, my dear,' said Myra Engelby, "'you have no duchesses.' "'Well, we supply you with quite a good few.' replied the American girl calmly and went on with her ice. A general laugh followed, and the latest Anglo-American match came up for discussion. "'Where's the Honourable Jane?' inquired someone presently. "'Golfing with Billy,' said Ronald Ingram. "'Ah, here they come!' Jane's tall figure was seen, walking along the terrace, accompanied by Billy Carthcart, talking eagerly. They put their clubs away in the lower hall, then came down the lawn together to the tea-tables. Jane wore a tailor-made coat and skirt of grey tweed, a blue-and-white cambric shirt, starched linen collar and cuffs, a silk tie, and a soft felt hat with a few black quills in it. She walked with the freedom of movement and swing of limb, which indicate great strength and a body well under control. Her appearance was extraordinary, unlike that of all the pretty and graceful women grouped beneath the shadow tree. And yet it was in no sense masculine, or, to use a more appropriate word, mannish for everything strong is masculine, but a woman who apes an appearance of strength which she does not possess is mannish. Rather, it was so truly feminine that she could afford to adopt a severe simplicity of attire, which suited admirably the decided plainness of her features and the almost massive proportions of her figure. She stepped into the circle beneath the zeta and took one of the half-dozen places immediately vacated by the men, with a complete absence of self-consciousness which always characterized her. "'What did you go around in, Miss Champion?' inquired one of the men. "'My ordinary clothes,' replied Jane, quoting Punch and evading the question. "'But Billy burst out. "'She went round in—' "'Oh, be quiet, Billy,' interposed Jane. "'You and I are practically the only golf maniacs present. "'Most of these dear people are even ignorant as to who Boogie is, "'or why we should be so proud of beating him. "'Where's my aunt?' Poor Simons was toddling all over the place when we went in to put away our claps, searching for her with a telegram. "'Why didn't you open it?' asked Myra. "'Because my aunt never allows the telegrams to be opened. She loves shocks, and there's always some possibility of a telegram containing startling news. She says it completely spoils it if someone else knows it first, and breaks it to her gently.' "'Here comes the Duchess,' said Garth who was sitting where he could see the little gate into the rose garden. "'Do not mention the telegram,' cautioned Jane. "'It would not please her that I should even know of its arrival. "'It would be a shame to take any of the bloom "'off the unexpected delight of a wire on this hot day "'when nothing unusual seemed likely to happen.' "'They turned and looked towards the Duchess "'as she bustled across the lawn, "'this quaint old figure who had called them together, "'who owned the lovely place "'where they were spending such delightful days, "'and whose odd whimsicalities had been so freely discussed while they drank her tea and feasted off her strawberries. The men rose as she approached, but not quite as spontaneously as they had done for her niece. The Duchess carried a large wooden basket filled to overflowing with exquisite roses. Every bloom was perfect, and each had been cut at exactly the right moment. End of chapter 3